This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Has hell frozen over? Should we be on the lookout for the four horsemen? Or are we all dreaming? Did Manchester City go to Anfield, put in a decent display and stand up in the face of adversity? Okay, so they might not have won. We'll get into the ins and outs of why that might be shortly, but they perform much better at Liverpool than they've done for pretty much every visit of the last 30 years. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where we're looking back at the highs and the lows of the miracle on Merseyside. Penalties, passing, possession and a point. We'll be analysing everything that happened in Sunday's top-of-the-table clash. Also on today's show, we'll be hearing from former City striker David White as he talks honestly and openly about the abuse he suffered as a young boy trying to make his way into football. We've got your questions to answer in Ask the Panel too, so don't forget to send them in for next week's show by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast or heading to the website bluemoonpodcast.com. I'm your host for today's show, Sam Roscoe. I'm joined in the studio with ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Hi, Sam. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, how are you? Yes, very good. So, fellas, the miracle on Merseyside, which uh, it was, wasn't it? Let's, you know, when you look at City's record, so much was made going into that game. They've not won for so many years. The the horror show of last season on both, you know, both occasions at, at Anfield. You you know, you'd have said a point was a good result at kickoff, but by full time, we were you still thinking that? Feels like we've gone back. 20 years in time if we're describing nil-nil draws as a miracle, but uh, <laughs> very old-school City. But, yeah, obviously everything that's gone in the, on in the past, recent history against Liverpool, I think um, I think most people would have settled for a, a point before the game. After the display and you know the, the penalty, which we will come on to in great depth, I've no doubt about it, uh, was it a missed opportunity, Jack? Yeah, well, I just thought the whole thing was anti-football. He caved, didn't, hasn't followed his footballing philosophy. What's he doing? Playing for a draw, I just thought it was pathetic. A barbaric performance by the Premier League champions. <laughs> what? Well, no, we're gonna <laughs> no, we're gonna go with they that. Should've, they should have won the game. They're absolutely brilliant, um, and he got his tactics spot on. What does that game and, and performance say about City this season? Um, it says they are more robust at the back, um, and it won't have gone unnoticed by anyone that the back two were the two that are going to be there for a long, long time. Um, I mean, the, the one thing I'm mean, obviously joking about the kind of principles and whatever, but the one thing that was slightly disappointing was that they didn't, they either didn't utilise Mendy on the left enough, or Mendy didn't play well enough, which was a bit of a shame because Liverpool were there to to be got at. Um, what does it say say for them? Kind of, they were quite comfortable in standing up to to what Liverpool had to offer. I mean, there were spells early in the game. Where if that had happened last year, or that was the kind of Champions League game or whatever at Anfield uh, in April, did a, did a struggle to to keep them out, and they didn't really ever look that tested, did they? To be honest, I I think one of the things it says is that Pep's more used to England now than he has been. You know, he's he's been here now longer, and he's played, he's been to Anfield three times now, and they've probably been more of a threat in those three other games than they were each of those three games than they were uh, on Sunday um, but he's decided that 
they, they can't play that way because they've lost all three. And uh, although it's it's not as it's not as defensive as certain other managers go with. Um, it was certainly more pragmatic approach. Name names. Uh, you know, Northwest managers we've seen in the past. Sure, I know, I know. <laughs> it was very controlled, wasn't it? The performance. Yeah, I thought that was the most impressive thing about it. Actually, that they, it was that controlled, and they were quite happy to sit in and wait for the chance, and they got a massive chance, and they and they mm. fluffed it. I mean, the penalty goes in, and that's an absolute flawless performance. How many teams go to Anfield and reduce Liverpool to that amount of um, or that amount keep of shots a clean and, sheet? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, when was yeah. the last time someone's kept a clean <clears throat> sheet at Anfield? That's something that I should have probably looked at that I don't really know off the top of my head. But they kind of they, sorry, they still retained uh, that attacking hunger. Mm. They were still dangerous on when they're in the final third. I mean, it would have been there, there was. Was something slight, there was something missing slightly, but there was also that was that was the same for Liverpool. That was the way the game was going, and they still created enough kind of opportunities in around the box to to have won the game even before the before the penalty. Well, let's just come on to that penalty and and Riyad Mahrez. He he, he missed. Why did he take it in the first place? Well, well, Pep said that he it was his decision that he took it off uh, Gabriel Jesus and. Jesus just isn't quite at it at the moment. He's suffering a bit of confidence-wise since the World Cup. He had a bad World Cup with Brazil. I think he's he's taken that quite badly. He's also missed a couple with City. And um, Pep said that Mares has been taking them really well in um, in training. But I just, I think Mares he's just trying to put push things a little bit too much at the moment. Rather than just relaxing and being part of the team, he wants to maybe just have a bit of an effect, score score a great goal, which really sets him off and running. Whereas if if he'd have just rolled that in, I don't know. I just thought there was a bit bit of tension in him mm. as he struck it, and obviously absolutely smashed it. The other thing was that Jesus was playing like a man possessed. That was the best I've seen Jesus play in, in ages. Yeah. He looked bang up for it. He played really well. He was running at, at people, wasn't he? That, something. Yeah, and he was wriggling out of spaces yeah, yeah. and opening them up. And um, Okay, so if Aguero is off the pitch, who who should take the penalties? That was what? That was playing on Sunday? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's go for that. Who else takes the penalty? Um, I think David Silva takes it. Well, David Silva's... Taking one penalty, I think. For I know City. there's that horrible mess. Yeah, so he obviously doesn't want it, doesn't fancy it. Bernardo, possibly. Um, Edison. Edison. Well, Edison is it? <laughs> yeah, no. The thing is, yeah, if you were to, if you were, in all seriousness, you pick those eleven players. Who would I think was most confident to take that penalty? It probably would be Edison. But you just can't have goalkeepers taking penalties, can you? Because if it, if it is if it's the bomb, ricochets twenty yards to the edge of the box, your goalkeeper's out of out of position. But well, his his idol growing up was the guy at Sao Paulo, um, scored all the free kicks. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and all the penalties. Yeah, probably took the throw-ins as well. <laughs> um, who, who would you have said if you were to say he's going to score? Which one would you have gone for? I honestly don't. I, they're not a team of penalty takers, are they? No. But they obviously are because they're all technically brilliant. Yeah, so. yeah. 
I think City have been really spoilt in recent years in that Aguero, Aguero misses, misses a couple. Yaya never missed. Balotelli. And Mario never yeah. missed for City. Um, it's just it's that confidence, isn't it? I think that's... You need a bit. You need a run of three or four, and then you and you're off, then, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Fernandinho. I think he, I think he's missed for City. Yeah, I think I've seen him miss, but he's a sort of in that kind of environment. Maybe he would have just stepped up and rammed it home. Just mm, put his head down. Yeah, well, he had yeah. such just a great game, didn't he? That he might have just sort of topped off his performance with a goal. But then again, you can't make those sort of decisions on the hoof, can you? It's kind of mm. that was obviously done. Well, Pep said it was done before, am right, So he's missed. Four of his last seven Maras now. Guardiola didn't know that. Should he have known? I don't. Uh, I don't know really. So yes, he probably should have done. But does it matter either way? If you if you're watching him take penalties in training and you believe in his ability, then mm. doesn't really matter, does it? Barring the the penalty miss, how was Riyad Mahrez's performance? I thought he was good. I thought he—he he was obviously a surprise when he was, uh, when we saw the team sheet that he was starting, uh, particularly the way Sane has been playing in recent weeks. Um, but I think it was a—it was pro- perhaps a nod to the way that they, the, the way they were going to approach the game. But having said that, I'm sure, Mahrez has always been seen as that extra defensive-minded attacker. Um, but I thought he linked up really well with Walker. Stopped. Um, Robertson getting forward too much, uh, linked up them, linked up the well with the passing game up front. So I thought he had a pretty good game. Yeah. The problem he, him and Sterling both had was that the the fullbacks were both quite conservative, weren't they? Mm. Whereas if you, if you're kind of an inverted winger, you want your fullback to be bombing up the side of you. Neither neither of them were really. I don't think Walker. <clears throat> I'm not sure which whether it was they which which of them was being conservative. Whether it was City were. Just stopping them from stopping them from running, and they all they sort of just froze each other out, really, didn't they? Yeah, they were playing chess rather than chicken, weren't they? Mm. Both of them. Um, there were a few penalty appeals in the game. Maguero was was kicked from behind. What was your view on that penalty or not? I mean, he didn't he didn't really appeal, did he? But should he have done? Yeah, I thought it was at the time. I thought then having what was a kick, he kicked him on the ankle. Whether yeah, it was. It was enough to knock him over because he didn't appeal for the penalty, so I thought that was a penalty. The handball from Van Dijk, but the free kick was given for a Fernandinho push. Yeah, I thought that was a penalty as well. <laughs> I thought that was a push, Okay. to be fair. Uh, and uh, I, thought it was easy, I thought it was easier to give a push in a sort of once classic... You, once ref- you weren't certain, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. a classic referee <laughs> way, uh, uh-oh, if I give a penalty here, then I might be, no, yeah. just give a, give a push, it's easier. Uh, and... Jesus got a, a swinging arm in the face. Accidental, maybe, but you know, surely that's still a foul, isn't no, it? No, it was not. No, it's nothing. That was it. It's one of them where you get you see you see them <laughs> given on the halfway line, don't you? But not in the box. <laughs> um, Guardiola was asked about those decisions to start his post-match press conference, and this is what he had to say. Now, I would not like to speak, you know, for the first question in the press conference after we decide about the referees, about the decisions. So we should good to play about the the game, the football. Of course, we had uh, a clear chance in the in the last in the last action, so we control quite well. So we know we know this club perfectly well. How complicated it is playing that you know in the, in this stadium and and how dangerous they are the people in front, and we control them quite well. 
Hütter always they are attacking inside and around behind and they wait our mistake to make uh, immediately counter-attack and play inside. They are incredible, incredible good, incredible quick. And we control the back four where are standing today. It felt a lot more, well, less explosive than any of your games last season or with the club in general. That's something you intended to slow it down. If you play, you know, so quick, they are much better than us. So the way they play both, we want to create, you know, we're going to do something, but they wait when you make a mistake and in this kind of situation. We like to make the process to build up, to create the, the spaces. It's not easy, but if, if, if it's an open game in Anfield or an open game against Liverpool, you don't have not even one chance, not even one percent. But they are so good, they play for that. And we control it through Riyadh, because the guy can give you extra pass, Bernardo in the middle to give you an extra pass. And, and it's important to give that 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 pace to because it's uh, up and down quickly. They are much much better. They are maybe no maybe no. I'm pretty sure the best team in the world running these transitions offensive defensively. They are not team better than the world than that because it's built for that. It's created for that. It's what Jurgen feels, and of course the players they build they 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 take is for that sense. And in that in that situation they are much better than us. Incredible. Incredible, incredible in the build-up. They were so paced and rhythm and read which guy, where are the men free, where where they are. We read it so, so good, so well. They did it perfect and defensively it's not easy when we don't have so pressure to the ball with Van Dijk, Olovren and these kind of guys. Immediately with no pressure to the ball, the guys are running in between, you know, these three guys are running in these gaps, even with Milner or Wijnaldum and attack with the fullbacks. They attack with a lot of people. They make switch play to the other side. It's not complicated. And they really well stay high, but in the right moment anticipated these long balls. They attack all the times in that situations. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Pep Guardiola in his post-match press conference following that game at Anfield. Guardiola heaped praise on Stones and Laporte there. And and uh, Jack, you mentioned it earlier on in, in the podcast. This is clearly his main two, isn't it now? At the back. Yeah, well, they're the two they've spent big money on. Sorry, I'm... Choking on a wangle, man. Um, did absolutely love Stones. I know he's not not played quite as much this season in the Premier League, but the um, they have high high hopes for Stones. Um, and I got told that Guardiola has been telling people that he's never seen a central defender as good as John Stones at so many things at that age, and they think he's going he could be one of the best in the world. And Laporte has just Laporte's probably been the best player this season, which is which is saying something. Apart from you know, apart from Hoffenheim when he was out of position. Well, hopefully that's. I think that experiment might be put to bed now after that performance because he really, really struggled. After such a like you say, you know, he's probably been the best player this season, and to see him struggle like that at Hoffenheim, and then to see him come back at Liverpool and play so well, I think, I, I think that. It, that's him at left back now. I don't think we'll see that again. Just explain to me how much composure that they, sh- you know, that pair showed compared to to previous visits to Anfield. Well, it's it's one of those games where, well, I mean, I still get nervous watching it, but and getting more accustomed to it. But the but the the Liverpool fans are getting, you know, with every every pass being played across the six mm. yard box, going back to the goalkeeper, everyone's getting excited, thinking. 
to kind of slip up here, and they didn't slip up all the way through the game. Every every pass was perfect. Um, it's just not an easy thing to do, is it? I mean, it's just you know, it's a, it's everything I've never done as a when I played football. I would launch it, it hit the channels, um, and it's just it's it's a complete antithesis of how we how we play in this country, and it's brilliant to see them so relaxed and doing it at a place like Anfield. Where did you play, John? Where, what, what position? What position? Uh, I was a, uh, well, started as a striker, and winger. Then, and worked his way back. And then back, progressively yeah. worked his way back, yeah. <laughs> that sounds very similar um, to me, actually. <laughs> back on to uh, the real defenders we're on about. Um, they did well, didn't they, Stones and, and Laporte, particularly after that that opening 15 minutes that, that Liverpool had. Yeah, I... They, they took the sting out of the game, didn't they? Really? They, did, they did, yeah. Um, that's been the major criticism of Stones in the past few years is that defensively he's not good enough. And it's just just not true, is it? He's as strong as they come, great in the air, proper tackler, but his positional sense is second to none. It's absolutely brilliant, flawless. Um, and Laporte has got a bit more kind of aggression about him, I think. Um, and they marry those two up, and they're a real formidable partnership. And they're only Stones is what twenty three. Laporte is about the same. Twenty and three and twenty four are they? Mm. Could be another. Bad, is it? Could be another eight, nine, ten years of them, couldn't it? Mm. Um, and we know that that City liked to pass it across the back. They were so calm, weren't they, under pressure at, when they were getting, you know, pressed and and forced to. To do something with it, if you like, they 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 weren't, were they? They weren't pressed that, or anything like that. But pressured. that that comes from the goalkeeper. They believe in the goalkeeper, and they believe they can do it because he is so good with his. I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool's players have been have been saying that in the last uh, at the start of this this season with um, Allison. They they've been talking about the difference that he makes and that kind of calm and influence. Well, City have been I've had that for over a year with Edison now. And it goes. I think it gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah. Oh, uh, but they're a unit, aren't they? They all work together. But all those all those components are, are really comfortable on the ball, and the, it's it's an extra an extra factor that, to think you can yeah you can go back to the keeper. Um, but they're also comfortable on the ball. I thought the one interesting thing at Liverpool was that they perhaps didn't pass it into. To the mid- centre of midfield as much as po- as the as they generally do, Fernandinho was obviously doing his shuttle runs, offering himself, and they they were a little bit more reticent to to play those sort of passes, and and that's probably that was I would assume would be under instruction from Guardiola that to not to not do that. Yeah, I was watching that. I think I think that was those were specific instructions because uh, there was a, they gave a couple of goals away, didn't they? Like that last year. Where they get turned around quite quick, and they just went. Well, look. It, I mean, I don't know this, but it looked like the manager went. Forget about it. We're not even bothering with that this time. Um, which very, you know, in hindsight, was very wise. Looking at Fernandinho, the man in the middle, um, there was a little bit of a, an incident between him and Mane. What did you make of that? Mane lucky, perhaps. What Mane lucky? What in terms of? Well, the the whole incident. You know. Are you talking about the bit where he sort of kicked kicked yeah, his? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I thought it was all a bit of nothing really. Yeah, I guess. not about the one where he brutalised his head. Is that the? 
Yeah, and Fernandinho had his arm in Mane's face a little bit. Handbag, right? Yeah. I think so. Was I don't he... know, maybe I'm... What is I, th- I thought it was one of those things where in a, in, a, in a game where very little happened, it was a talking point, really, rather than it... I don't think it was. I don't think it was much. I Fair thought enough. it was pretty impressive that he got two kicks in though on the way down. Shows <laughs> great strength in that leg. Um, how much of of City's unusually resilient display at Anfield was down to Fernandinho though? Yeah, well, I mean, John's your man for that because John called it quite early on Sunday. I think that Fernandinho was having an absolutely marvelous game, which I'd not picked up on initially. But yeah, I just thought he he's just doing what Fernandinho does but at a higher level against high class opposition and just he was relentless he was up for a scrap you know you take, talk about that instant he, he did take a back foot he uh, got his retaliation in the second half with a, a sort of WWE style clothesline <laughs> um, he was just all over the place and, and and helped out by Bernardo and it was a really mature performance from Bernardo not not that he's he, he's, he's not done that sort of thing before but he was playing a little bit deeper, helping out, picking the balls up in unusual positions, perhaps for him, a little bit further back, uh, linking the play. Just uh, and digging in, digging in. We, we've you know we've seen that from from David Silver over the years. He's not afraid to put a tackle in. He's not afraid to put a bad tackle in if required. Um, and I think Bernardo that that it was a it was a David Silver esque performance, and that's you know pretty high praise, isn't it? We've spoke about the style of play quite a bit at the start of this uh, this opening part of the, the Blue Moon podcast. Um, we've spoke about how Guardiola approached it slightly differently than he has previously with these Anfield visits. But is it a worry that Alisson wasn't really tested beyond a, a second half, ten minute spell? No, because the onus is on the onus is on Liverpool, and Edison wasn't really tested either, was he? I don't think to my. To my knowledge, the the I mean, in a if that game had played out at the Etihad, I'd have turned around and gone, yeah, that is you know, is a worry that he wasn't tested, but it's not on, wasn't on City to to make that a football game last weekend. They went to go and get a result, got a result, and were threatening. They got into threatening positions, but almost as we were saying before, kind of reined themselves in a little bit, which stopped them from really going for the jugular because they didn't want to do that. If they did want to do that, they could have done, couldn't they? Looking at the Premier League table and, and what that result at Anfield does, City lead the way. Liverpool, Chelsea also joint top behind on goal difference. Eight games in, how do you think the season's shaping up? It's going to be a bigger challenge this year than last year, that's for certain. Why? Um, well, it's just because Liverpool are, are stronger. Chelsea are, are organised. They've always had good players, but they've, they've got a manager who's got them organised. I th- you know, I think that I see them as the third, third favourite in the three-horse race. But they could certainly win the win the title. Um, I think whoever wins it this season potentially is going to pick up more than ninety points. I think that's going to be what's required. We, you know, the, the the talk is all City Liverpool. We've mentioned Chelsea there as well. They were they were joint top as well. But also, it's it's very tight below that as well, isn't it? Still, with uh, Arsenal and and Spurs, Bournemouth. Um, yeah, I, there's there's kind of everyone talks about the kind of gap between the top six and and the rest, and those fourteen teams are all playing to be the top of their league. I think there's now a gap within the top six 
where you would kind of expect Arsenal, Tottenham to be kind of... And it's quite slightly unfair to talk about Tottenham like that, given they've had a, a really good couple of years. But I think they're reverting back to where they were before because they've not moved forward, they've just stood still. So they're in a similar kind of realm to Arsenal. And then Chelsea and Man United kind of flip between the two. They, they flip between the City and Liverpool or kind of Arsenal and to a lesser extent Spurs. So I think you'll see it become a... Well, it's already starting anyway, but a three that mm. will break out. And I think the only reason Chelsea will stay in that three is because of the individual brilliance of Hazard, whereas Liverpool and City are more of a... It's more of a team effort, isn't it, really? Everyone else, everyone's chipping in. Interestingly, though, Hazard did mention uh, this week that he might be going to Spain in his press conference. I don't know how tongue-in-cheek that was. I couldn't really grasp it but that was uh, yeah, well that, no that was that was in the in the uh, in the mix zone after the Southampton game mm. so he's still on Chelsea time when he was talking about maybe going which I thought was astonishing really yeah so maybe you know that could have a, a bit of an effect over the course of the season mm. we'll see how that one pans out but uh, eight games in City do lead the way uh, all good isn't it time to move on and becoming a professional footballer and playing for the club you support is a dream that thousands of kids have and one that only a few get to live out but as we've heard over the last few years there were times when those dreams turned into nightmares for youngsters involved Former City striker David White is one of those who has bravely shared his story about the abuse he suffered at the hands of his football coach, Barry Bennell. Earlier this year, Bennell was found guilty of 43 sex offences and omitted seven more. He was jailed for 31 years. In 2016, after the initial allegations were made, City launched a QC-led investigation. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, David Mooney has been speaking to David White to get his reaction to Bennell's sentence and to find out how his experiences have affected his life. I could never have written that book whilst, whilst my dad was alive. That was, a, that was a long shot of it, really. Obviously, I'd, I'd suffered the abuse at the hands of Barry Bennell when I was about 11 years, well, I was about 11 years old, I was 11 years old and, and for the for a couple of years after that. And it was just something that um, I, I could never ever let my dad be, become aware of. Um, you know, I knew from the first day that had happened, it, it, it was something that I'd have to keep from my dad for, forever. The career was over, but obviously I couldn't I couldn't write a book that was a lie, really, because I knew that uh, what had happened to me defined my life in many ways. and. Uh, Certainly defined my relationship with my, with my, with my father and, and what have you. And so my dad, my dad died, sadly, uh, at the age of sixty-six. Pretty obviously, pretty young. He uh, deteriorated very badly. And over a, a month, I was in Mumbai with him. Uh, we got him back to Withenshaw and uh, passed away a week later, two thousand and ten. And really, that was no, that wasn't the moment where I said I'll do this. It was it was the moment where I could. Um, as soon as I started writing, I realised that the abuse had, had to be in there. It had to because it was it was really going to define the story, and uh, that wasn't me deciding that. That was just what what happened when I started writing. I got to understand better the relationship I'd had with my dad, and uh, and the sort of devastating effects the, the abuse had had, which previously I maybe I maybe wasn't as clear in my own mind about. And it was in many ways it was a great great experience. I think the the, the word they use is cathartic. I don't, I'm not sure I know what that means, but. Uh, I always say yes when they ask me. When you put it down on the page, was that that the first time you'd, you'd ever kind of opened up about that? Well, no, because the the abuse was seventy nine originally, so going 
probably through to 81, 82. You know, in some ways, it sounds stupid, but I was quite lucky in some ways because the, the abuse wasn't as, as um, certainly as prolonged or, or as uh, persistent or, or as, as high level as some other people, you know, that I know now and consider as friends. And, and, but it was there and, and uh, it, was, it was every time I was, I was going to this, you know, my dad was taking me to uh, the guy's house or the guy's flat or he was allowing me to go on holidays and weekends. But obviously my dad was blissfully unaware of what was going on. But as I said, I, it was just, I was never ever going to speak to anybody. And then it was it was 18 years. that So my whole football career came and went. I'd never spoken a word to anybody. And then in about 97, 98, my career was pretty finished. Well, it was finished. I, I definitely had my final operation. I never played again after that. Although I was, I was still at Sheffield United, I just got a call out of the blue from the police asking to speak to me. They wanted to speak to me specifically about Barry Bennell. I knew at that time he'd been, I think he was in, in the States, he'd been um, in prison for, for rape in the States. And they were trying to get him back over here, they were trying to extradite him. There was also a programme on TV at the time, a programme called Dispatches, which was about him. I was mentioned in that programme, although, you know, just in a way that, you know, that I'd been coached by him, the four of us and me and... Gary Speed and Andy Inchcliffe and uh, Rob Jones were all mentioned as, as international footballers who'd been coached by him. So I was kind of just hoping all this would come and go. And, that, and then, but when the police called, it, 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 in many, I think I panicked, in all honesty. I, I, I agreed to meet them the next day in my house. I was, I, was, I was in Sheffield, but living in Manchester. Agreed to meet them the next evening in my house and, and literally drove home and thinking I've got no option now but for all this to come out. So as soon as I'd got home, I, I you know, told my wife I needed to speak to her uh, and, told, and told her that. So she was the first person I'd, I'd told, sort of after 18 years and very, very quickly my brother was there and my, my, uh, my sister-in-law was there. and So it, it, was a, it was a surreal situation, to be honest with you. The, uh, everyone was crying, everyone couldn't believe what was going on. And yeah, I, to me, this was 18-year-old news that I, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd dealt with. Um, and in reality, all I've done is try and push it to the back of my mind and let all the the, the psychological effects of it manifest themselves in, in me. And I suddenly thought, you know, if this is the reaction, then I don't really want to put this on anybody else. I certainly didn't want to put it on my parents at that point. Absolutely didn't want to put it on my dad because, you know, my, the logic there was my mum and dad uh, had been separated, divorced, uh, when I was playing football, when the abuse was happening, and that my dad would feel the guilt because it was him that was always with me at the football. It was him that it was him that knew Barry Bennell. It was him that was saying, "Yes, go there with him. Go there. I'll tell you." So, uh, and I didn't really, as much as I didn't want my mum to know, I didn't afford her the same protection, which is a you know big big regret in my life now. I called a, a guy I knew that my dad did business with, a friend of my dad's as well, but I knew I could trust him and. Uh, he immediately just said, it's your dad, you, you, you're worried about your dad, aren't you? So I said, yeah, that's absolutely what I'm worried about. And he basically said, well, you know, you can say what you want to say to the police, you know, you say what you want to say, and if it suits you to say nothing happened, then you say that, and uh, and that's what I did. So back in, you know, 97, 98, that'd be, I lied to the police, they, they came round, I had a probably an hour-long interview, Denied everything. Other, you know, I didn't deny I'd been to these places. I, d I didn't deny 
anything like that, just that nothing, nothing had ever happened. There'd never been any abuse. He'd never tried to touch me or anything like that. And uh, and again, I just thought, you know, it, it's gone. I, I then was able or found myself in many ways talking about it a lot more. You know, it, it became good to to be able to talk about it. So amongst, to be honest, amongst good friends and amongst sometimes strangers who I thought I'd never meet before, and I'd never meet again, sorry, if we were in conversation, I would uh, find myself saying, "Yeah, that's that happened to me," or you know, and so you know, and that became very helpful. And I, was, I kind of got myself to a situation where wherever I was, it was if I was out socially, there was always somebody with me that I could speak to if, if I needed to, and I and I found that enough. Um, my mum, well, my mum's mum, my nan died in uh, two thousand. It was a very emotional evening that night when the, at, the, at the funeral and uh, kind of with a bowl full of wine. My mum and I, I told you know I told my mum as well that that uh, that night and she you know she really really struggled with it. And as I said, I I wish to this day that I'd you know I'd protected my mum from it. And and had I made that decision, we, we probably wouldn't be here, and the book wouldn't be here in all honesty because my mum's my mum's still very much alive and kicking. What did Barry Bennell's sentence do for you? Personally, this sentence didn't do an awful lot for me. I think it's important to point out this book absolutely was not um, a reaction to the November 16th stories. It was already there. And two weeks before we were due to have it finished is when the, the, the stories came out, Andy Woodward in, in November 16th, then Paul Stewart. And, and in the book, I... I think of a, a, a saying there, look, I, I, to me, it didn't matter whether he was dead or alive, it didn't matter whether he was in prison or out of prison. And, uh, so from a personal point of view, I suppose I can consider myself pretty lucky that I, did, I didn't need that, I never felt I needed that closure. But having got to know other people involved, having got to know other victims who um, were, suffered a lot, a lot more than I did as well, um, and, and when I say that, I mean people who, even people whose abuse was less than mine, have had their lives impacted more because you just haven't got, you know, you just don't know how people are going to react to these things. And then, so seeing all these other people and how much they needed it uh, means it's very, very important that he got the sentence he got. Seeing him in court, although via video link, um, I was, I was in court probably. A third of the days that the court 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 was there. No, I, I went. You know, in many ways, for professional reasons. In the end, Paul and I would literally, if we if we had nothing else on on a particular day, it was just automatic that we'll rattle me. I'll see you at court tomorrow. You drive over from Blackpool. I drove over from Manchester. We'd sit and watch the court proceedings all day. So it it became important because of the effects on 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 the other lads. I I was a complainant. But I, I made it very clear, having made my statement, that you know I made my statement to try and help other people. Rather, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to court. I would have done quite happily if they, if if the CPS had said, you know, your your case is a really strong one for us, and we think you're going to be a great witness. And I'd have quite happily gone there, obviously. But it I, it didn't. Uh, I didn't need it. I think um, I mean, the important thing is because. Since November 16, Paul and I and, and one or two others have been such a part of what's gone on and such a part of the, the process. It just made me feel as though I'd contributed anyway. So, and, and that, that's something that we, 
we were trying to get through to a lot of the other lads just you know feel part of this process only 12 people can go to court you know that was that was a that was a limit they could only have 12 people in the court for whatever reason and i suppose the 12 best place were picked at that particular time and and i was able to sort of feel feel very much feel part of that if we could have brought that to some of the other some of the other lads as well that that'd have been great and, and maybe we maybe it did to some of them but i, I know for a an awful lot of them, they still feel like they've not they've not had justice, which is and even the ones that were there, you know, it was there was a a real feeling of euphoria um, when the original, you know, the uh, the verdict came through. Uh, uh, but if you know, if it, I don't think it changes an awful lot in, in many ways. You know, it still it still happens here, uh, and that that doesn't go away. Even though the guys, I mean, I think now uh, certainly. Four years in the states minimum, nine years here, another two years here, thirty-one years here. So I think he's been sentenced to fifty years in total. But it, it doesn't change what happens to people. Um, so it's you know it's a it's a very very difficult one for for a lot of people still. One thing I wanted to ask about yourself is I mean I, I've read and seen a few interviews that you've done. How much do you think it affected your career? I think it massively, it massively affected my career. I think, and I think it was. Um, it's difficult uh, because, and this is a difficult for Paul and I. That, that we we both played probably five hundred senior games. We both scored over hundred goals. We both played for England. Paul played in an FA, FA Cup final, scored a goal in an FA Cup final. So people kind of. Think of us as being successful. They, they'll, they'll say, and they'll say things to me. In particular, I think Paul's a, Paul's a stronger character. Paul's reaction, I think, is very different to mine. Paul, and this, this is the thing. Paul goes one way, which is anger and, and um, uh, if you like, destructive things he does in his life. He talks about them in his book, you know. So. Um, you know, he's a he's an angry person. He's he's, a, he's been an angry person through his life, and he's you know he's turned to drugs on a couple of occasions and had difficulties there. I just go really sort of introvert and quiet, and so I'm I'm the opposite in many many ways. And people say to you, oh, "You must be so strong." I I can't tell you how weak I felt when I was playing football throughout my career because I was so vulnerable to criticism, and at the same time, I was such a, a confidence player. So the slightest thing would smash my confidence to pieces, and I'd be back down here. And and you know, so if you speak to any any city fan, they would say, "Geez, at his top of his game, he was nine, ten out of ten. Too often we saw him at five out of ten. That absolutely sums me up. And I, the people who were regularly ordinary, I was jealous of them guys. The the guys who who just were, you know seven out of ten every week. You know exactly what you were getting. They were, you know, they were never going to hit the depths, but they were never going to go and get four at Villa as well. But I, I was, I spent my career being jealous of those of those people, and um, and and I think that's the best way I can sum it up. I, because it's all relative. Something happens to you as a kid, and you, and your career just disappears, and, and you can, you know, everyone said I would have made it. I would have this. How good I was, and ultimately, you just nobody nobody knows. But I, you know, I would say, Paul and I did make it. And you say that's great. You you made it despite. But I would say, well, it didn't because I I didn't want to I didn't want to score ninety six goals for Man City. I, I wanted to score one hundred and ninety six, two hundred goals. And 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 I 
I genuinely think, at my best, that's what I'd have done. Uh, you know, I, I honest, honestly believe that, that, that that's what I should have done. If I was free of all the anxiety, free of all the... Um, the sensitivity to, to criticism, and I didn't have this overburdening relationship with my dad, I did, that's what I'd have done. I'm, I'm certain I'd have done that. I didn't want to play once for England. I wanted to play 100 times for England. And, and, it, and it's, you know, it, it was what it was, but I, um, you know, the biggest destructive thing was, was absolutely the fact that my dad, who was in many ways the best sort of parent in sport you could ever you could ever ask for in terms of commitment, in terms of giving it time, in terms of sacrifices to the rest of his family. Because he he didn't know about the things that he needed to help me with. He he forever just didn't understand me. So that just permanently resulted in in this massive problem between us. So I was sensitive to crowd criticism massively. I was sensitive to manager criticism, ultra sensitive to press criticism, to the point that I didn't believe any of the good stuff. So, I, you know, if, if there was a cheer from the crowd or they sang my name, it was like, well, they sing everybody's name. If, if like, I got eight, nine out of ten in the paper, I wouldn't believe it. Because that, it just suited me to be, that's how, that, that's the only way I could try and keep on a sort of level playing field so I denied my I assumed the worst and denied myself any of the good all the time so invariably went into games feeling petrified I think would be fair to say knowing that if I got an early goal I'd, I'd be right I'd be okay and then I could be brilliant and, and that's how I was and, and this is I, that is the secret that that you know writing the book made me realise where, where all that that was from and the fact that I'm, I've got this relationship with my dad where, in many ways, he's forever having a go at me. And, it, it, you know, I can, I can just remember sat in the car with my dad all the time and him just saying to me, you all right? Are you all right? Why, why did that happen? Why? You know, questions, questions. And I knew the answer to all the questions, but I couldn't tell him. And then, and then you get then a kind of a resentment because it's like, I'm doing this for you, Dad. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like, leave me alone because the, I can't tell you. I can't tell you, but if you knew, you'd stop. And that, and so it's a, it's kind of a much more subtle effect. It, it, but it's just, it's just as devastating. It, it, you know, in, in uh, and I hope the other lads wouldn't mind. You know, I'm, in terms of a a relationship that should have been kind of the most beautiful partnership relationship in in sport between a, a, a father and a son was just completely destroyed by one man. And and that you know, to the to the degree that the the day after I played my last ever the, the last kicked my last ever game of football, Sheffield United, the next the next day my dad knocked on my door and told me I was ruining his life. That's how bad it it made it. I just know that if my mind was free of all that, I'd have been that player, that Villa, player at Villa Park, the player, and, and, and I know there's plenty of games where, that I could refer to and say you were that player that day, you were that player there. But to, for me to have been 
that player three or four times, five times as much would have made an enormous difference in terms of where I ended up as a in term in terms of stats. And even stuff like a stronger person would have probably managed my injury better, personally. You know, I would have been, I would have said, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm you know, I need to so even would have elongated my career, you know, but that's not the person I was. I just was weak and felt felt weak. And yet people say to me, you must be so strong. And I know there must be some strength in there, and there certainly is a lot more now. So I think it it was profound. It was absolutely, the, the effect of what that man did uh, was, was profound. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. David Mooney speaking to former City forward David White. We'll hear more from him on next week's show as he discusses the highlights of his career in City's first team. And if you want to buy a copy of his book, check out his Twitter feed at David underscore White 7. If you've been affected by anything in this interview, you can speak to the NSPCC in the UK or for elsewhere, the International Society for the Prevention of Child Abuse. It is time to move on. Unfortunately, it is the final part of this week's episode of the Blue Moon Podcast. It is Ask the Panel. You get your questions in, you can do so via Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast or you can get involved on the website bluemoonpodcast.com which is where Peter Jackson has uh, been getting in touch for our first question of this episode on Ask the Panel. The Sterling to Real Madrid rumours are back again. Would he be mad to leave City for them and would City be mad to let him go? Yes and yes. Um, you know, I think he's very settled at City. Um, he's just getting he's getting better and better. Um, you know, he started the season just where he left off last season, if not even more comfortable. Um, yeah, and City know exactly what they've got. Pep knows exactly what he's got. He's young. He's got seven, eight years ahead of him, and he's hopefully getting better. So, I think they're they're a perfect match. The Sterling rumours are back again. Do we do we know do, do we know where they were? I didn't I didn't see them. No no I, no I, I don't know where have they come from. Yeah, well rumours. There we go. Mm. Can you uh, shed any more light for us? I'm going to put you under pressure. Rumours, rumours. Sterling Real well, Madrid. While the contract is not unsigned, while there is no agreement, clubs are looking at what's going on and if he's. You know the price goes down, doesn't it? The, the longer his uh, his contracts is, well, as he gets into his last twelve months of his deal. So, I mean, it's, it's getting it's getting tight. It's just a little over eighteen months, which is not a long time. And City City is saying that they're kind of not worried yet about it. But if it was me, I'd be getting worried. I'm sure it'll get done because Sterling wants to stay and City want him to stay, so I'm sure it will get done. But I don't understand why it's not been done already. At what point do you think they start to have a, a, a serious conversation about okay, who's interested? February, I think it'd be that early. Because um, that's that's the time when you start planning for the summer. Um, His price comes down in the summer, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. it's the last twelve months. Mm. I think it'll be yeah. I think it'll be it'll be as soon as as soon as then. Which and then that's not that far away. I know it's it probably seems silly for us talking about this, and it's kind of like panic stations type thing. 
but it really isn't a long time. And once it gets to 12 months, as a club, you're, you're almost knackered. You've either got to throw money at the player, mm. and if it got into the last 12 months and they were desperate for him to stay, which, you know, there's a few factors, um, not least the kind of homegrown element to it. And he's one of the most sellable assets. Um and if you got into the last 12 months, you, you're almost thinking, are they going to have to throw De Bruyne money at him to make him stay if he gets into that, into the final year of his contract? And that's not that's not really that far away. Do you think they'll do it before then? Yeah, I think I think they will. I think they will. Um, I don't really. There's kind of been a few mixed messages about it. I don't really know. You get told that kind of dialogue is always open and things like that, but then that makes me, me and others, wonder. Well, if it's been open, then why are we not any further, any further down the line either way? Is this an unusual situation for for Manchester City? Are they are they, are they normally pretty much, you know, bang on with this sort of thing? Have we seen this a similar scenario before? Yeah, we've seen. I'm trying to think of some examples, but we have seen players getting towards the end of the contract. Like Aguero, for example, that was. I don't think that I'd... was that was done. That was he's never <laughs> been that far down, down the line. I mean, Mil- Milner never. They always wanted Milner to sign a new deal, and that never got done. Um, but someone of this caliber at that age, worth that much money, and allowing it to go into the final two years, is pretty unusual. It's going to be typical if uh, when the the podcast is is rela- released on on Friday <laughs> that it's already been done and dusted. <laughs> but uh, I'm fairly certain that's not going to happen because you guys would probably know about it already, right? Uh, probably not. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question also comes from the website. Ian Sullivan's been in touch. When De Bruyne returns, is it maybe David Silva whose position is most at threat, and not Bernardo after the way he started the season? Well, it's it's always a bit of a an odd question, isn't it? What's what's the best eleven? It's, it's you, very rarely you you ever required to pick your best eleven. You pick you pick elevens. You, you pick lineups to cover a few games. So you pick a team that's going to beat uh, Burnley, and then go uh, pick a team that's going to go to Shakhtar, and then you got pick a team with um, what's the game after that? Is it Spurs? I can't remember. Yeah, the Monday yeah. night. Yeah. So you, you you've got a view to those three games, and De Bruyne probably will might well play in two two out of three of them, and David Silva might play in two, and Bernardo Silva plays in two. But if it comes around to um, a Champions League final or something like that, then you're gonna you can pick your eleven, and then it's a big question, isn't it, <laughs> Bernardo or David Silva? Um, I think probably David Silva just about wins it at the moment. Did, those three games are quite interesting for De Bruyne because they're almost the wrong way around, aren't they? You, so it's Burnley, then Shakhtar, then Tottenham. Now, you definitely want him to play against Tottenham. And given the result against mm. Leon, you probably yeah. want him to play against Shakhtar. But he can't play against Shakhtar if he doesn't play well, against Burnley, really, can he? He surely, needs to ease himself back in. Well, surely Pep gives him time in, in the game against Burnley, brings him on in the second half, yeah. gives him 30 minutes, mm. maybe Shakhtar... Give him a little bit more, and then start him for Spurs. Is yeah, that not what you know. You'd think he'd, he'd do that if 
if it is a case of, of easing him back in or if it's going to be a case of, right, he's going to be ready to go, maybe you give him a half, second half or something like that, you know, yeah. against uh, Burnley. But either way, um, it, it's great to know that he, he's going to be He's going to be there, mm. and um, you know they've got a good record, haven't they? City have, had, well, recently they've got a good record of when players come back, they normally come back quite well, um, and hopefully that that's the case with with De Bruyne. It is it is slightly earlier than expected, isn't it? Yeah, a few weeks, yeah. two weeks, three yeah, weeks. Yeah. Um, well, it was looking like mid-November, wasn't it? So well, it's it was looking like. The- few of us wrote it was looking like the Manchester Derby and it's even flipping yeah, sooner than that so well it was mid-August and the initial prognosis was three months wasn't it so mm. that just takes it well there was a bit of debate about that wasn't there at the time <laughs> <laughs> so, I can't believe yeah, I've so managed it. to get away without answering this silver conundrum which is great go on well you just put yourself on the spot there <laughs> yeah. and then go now you it. want you, you really want to answer it don't you that's what it is Um. I actually didn't. I thought you were just going to move on. I no, thought it was going to be a nice little segue <laughs> to the next question. But. Well, to be fair, you kind of have answered it really because it's. I think this season's very much horses for courses. Like you I don't think I with... said that, Sam. I think we need to know what Jack thinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll play. All right, I'll play David Silver now, and then Bernardo Silva is going to be the next David Silver, isn't he? And they think David Silver's got a year left after this at his peak. There we go. Well, there you go, Ian Sullivan. Uh, hope that helps. Uh, Darren Watson has been in touch on Twitter. For me, Sunday's penalty miss was the most galling since Robbie Fowler's miss against Middlesbrough and consequently, you know, cost City a place in Europe. What is your most gut-wrenching penalty miss by a City player or penalty scored by the opposition? Crikey. Well, first of all, let's, let's do you agree? Most galling since Robbie Fowler's miss uh, against Middlesbrough? I remember my, my team losing to Man City on penalties in the League Cup live on Sky and I was a little kid watching it in my local pub on the Foul Coast. As a little kid? Yeah. In the pub? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how you grow, that's that's how you grow you. up in Blackpool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, yeah, wasn't happy at all. Um, They've been fortunate, haven't they, City recently with, with penalty shootouts and stuff like that. It's, it's not really been a, an issue which is, is why I suppose Saturday was uh, Sunday was even more of a surprise. I mean, really. those two penalty misses against Everton a couple of seasons ago was annoying, weren't they? Mm. Um, I mean, that was one of the most one-sided games of all time that didn't end yeah. with a victory. The one at home, the first home game in the season. Yeah, well, was it Monday night? No, it wasn't the first home game of the season. No, no, no. That no, it was the season before. It was the season before that when Stecklenburg was just. He was he oh, was an yeah, absolute bobbins yeah. keeper, mm. but suddenly was just that was Aguero, wasn't it? Both missed them both. No, De Bruyne missed one. He saved he saved one from De Bruyne. He also saved a like a thirty five yarder from De Bruyne, <laughs> um, which you expect him to do. To about be fair, the, about the penalty at the weekend, I can't believe the penalty ended up in Neil Custis's back garden. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? It's <laughs> an amazing tweet. <laughs> I think the. Uh, I think the one in the, the the cup game against United was well, f- where Frontzek gave away a penalty. That was a bit of an, an annoying one. Which one? I don't even know what year it was. Possibly 95, 94, something like that. 2-1 defeat. Rosler opened the scoring and then uh, 
there was a corner came in and, and he there was a bit of pushing and shoving and Keane went absolutely mad at the <laughs> referee saying why have you given a free kick for that that's ridiculous and the referee said no no I haven't I've given a penalty <laughs> <laughs> well if you are listening and uh, you want to get involved with this one what's the most gut-wrenching penalty missed by a City player or penalty scored by the opposition do get involved drop us a tweet at Blue Moon Podcast we will leave that one with uh, you lovely listeners unfortunately that is it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast but if you do want to hear a little bit more Blue Moon Podcast then we have a bonus episode for our patron backers who support the show by two dollars a month or about one pound fifty in uk terms and for that as well you'll get at least 10 minutes of extra every week and you'll be able to read a minimum of two city blogs a month by david mooney and richard burns top quality content we also have a bunch of other rewards as well if you do a mug badges or bottle opener uh, they will be with you soon mooney's packaged and sent them out this week uh, from the Blue Moon Podcast warehouse. Check out patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and please, please help the show meet its running costs. Thank you very much to my uh, two studio guests, ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Pleasure, thank you. And Daily Mail's Jack Gone. Thank you very much. Once again, thank you and have a great week. Enjoy. No football for a weekend. No, you have a good week. What are you going to do whilst it's international break anyway, just before we go? Feet up. Although, going, actually, I might be doing the under-21s on Tuesday. John? Uh, I'm going swimming. Nice. I'm running the Manchester Half Marathon, so if you'd like to drop me a sponsor, at Sam Roscoe on Twitter. And now we know why he asked. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.